If your work job or personal life has got you feeling down and stressed, there's a chance you might be heading towards mentally burning out. According to this week's guest, psychologist Claire Marsh, the quicker you get onto doing something about it, the better. How can I know if I'm burnt out? Or what can I do about it? I'm glad you asked. You might be interested in what Claire has to say. Welcome to Signs of the Times Radio. It's another week and it's Signs of the Times Radio. And this week I have a great guest who is joining me over the phone and that is Claire Marsh. How are you doing, Claire? Hi, I'm well, thanks. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure. Claire... I don't know how it's been for you as far as lockdowns and all that kind of stuff goes. I just want to kind of tell you a, a story. In Sydney, we've just gone through like a pretty long lockdown. And some people who are listening to this are still in that lockdown because of vaccinations and stuff, right? But, you know, I was very fortunate that when lockdown ended, I was able to go out and about. And one of the first weekends that we were open was actually my birthday weekend. And Hi. so... My fiance took me up to the Blue Mountains and we were just at this lookout place and we we're just looking at the, the sunset going down over the, you know, over the top of the mountain and it was producing all these pretty colors. And look, I, I don't think I'm a particularly emotional man. Maybe people can argue against that, but it, I had this really random moment where I just felt like, I don't know, I just felt like crying almost just an overwhelming feeling of emotion, just being out there in nature again, looking at the, the beautiful sunset. And my fiance just looked at me and she was just like, wow, you've just really been under a lot of pressure. <laughs> and I think that I'm not alone in that. Now, the word burnout has been used more frequently lately. Are you seeing a trend of people feeling burnt out because of COVID-19 lockdowns. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really relevant, that story that you just shared. You know, we've had people who are working from home, you know, schooling from home and having all of these demands meshing in with each other. And it's just been a time unlike any other that we've really known. So it's fairly new to navigate. So Definitely, I've seen people who are really burnt out as a result of that. And, you know, for maybe part of the lockdown, it was a bit relieving for some people, depending on their personality. Maybe it was relieving for them to, you know, have some time out or a bit more time with family or not having to socialise as much. But I think the, the fact that the restrictions just wore on and on and on, it became almost unbearable for most people. Yeah. So your background as a psychologist, how long have you been a, a practicing psychologist for? Yeah, I've been a practicing psychologist for 12 years now. And I've worked okay. across the school setting with young people and also in a clinic setting with mainly adults. Right. So 12 years is quite a, a broad spectrum of being able to look back and see how things have changed. Now, obviously, the word unprecedented keeps being thrown around for mm. COVID-19 and describing the situation. And I kind of have grown to resent that word because it's not as powerful anymore, <laughs> but it is a, it is a different situation. 
have you noticed there have been changes in as far as how people have responded to lockdowns as opposed to before COVID-19 in how people have responded with their, with their mental health, let's say? Yeah, it's been quite varied. I've found that some people have responded well because, you know, they don't have the constant demands or the mental challenges that everyday life was presenting to them. You know, perhaps people who were experiencing social anxiety or agoraphobia and those types of conditions, you know, or maybe their personality is a little more introverted, you know, and they've sort of thrived a little bit by being at home and it's a very rare opportunity that we we get to see what we're like when we strip away all of the the day-to-day demands, you know. And and I'm not saying that they've all just disappeared, but when we, you know, we take away maybe maybe the travel um, time and, you know, having to navigate the world out there, then some people have actually done well in that. But having said that, it's made it harder for, for those people to get back to the normal routine and, you know, get back into the rhythm of socialising again and getting back into their job and the routine and the structure. Conversely, on the other hand, you know, there have been people who are really suffering as a result. You know, again, could be personality factors of being more extroverted or, again, mental health conditions which already make it really hard for them to be isolated. You know, people who are already experiencing depression and mm-hmm. maybe they don't function as well without a structure and a routine and the vicarious interactions that we have from day to day. So, yeah, it's been quite mixed. And so, again, probably another word that you've heard a lot during the lockdown is the word polarising. You know, I've found that this experience has been polarising for people with mental health. We were joking around with my introverted, I guess, fiance that she's loving the lockdown. Actually, in her role, you know, she says that there was no difference because she was just as busy as ever. But, you know, we were joking that she probably would have appreciated being locked down more. Whereas I've got a buddy of mine who was living in an apartment by himself. And this guy is as extroverted as anybody. And mm, poor guy right. was just like unable to see anyone. There wasn't anyone within what five to 10 kilometers in his LGA just trying to like call him as often mm. as possible and <laughs> catch up with him because it's a massive struggle for sure. I guess I'm curious to know, what is it about working from home or living or being at home all the time that can really unsettle one's mental health? Do you think there's a variety of those factors like you just mentioned, like being unable to travel and stuff, being able to go outside or do a lot of the things you used to be able to do? But just as far as just being stuck indoors, is that something that you've mm. found is can be detrimental? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess before I address that, I just want to acknowledge that we're talking about people who may still be working through the lockdown, you know, whereas, you know, there are massive mental health implications for those who could have lost their jobs, you know, and they've had really massive changes in their personal circumstances and, you know, financial situation as a result of that. So there's that aspect of it that is really difficult for mental health. But yeah, for those who have been locked inside, you know, and having to work and do remote learning with their kids. And, you know, I think the impact there is mainly around the fact that everything is less defined, you know, the boundaries have sort of been removed and uh, it's like everything has been tipped into this melting pot together. Mm -hmm. And that 
recipe in itself is, you know, a recipe for burnout because, you know, when we don't have that structure, we don't have that definite start and end to our workday or if we're mentally we're really torn between a few things. We've got a lot of things on the boil. You know, maybe we're running between rooms trying to manage the kids doing home learning and then, you know, jumping on a Zoom meeting and doing that for a prolonged period of time can really wear a person down. It can reduce their tolerance and they're, they're all sources of stress. And so without that structure and the boundaries that we can normally separate our work and home life, then, then that's where it becomes really fuzzy and that's where the burnout starts to creep in. You're absolutely spot on. Like I was talking to, to a friend recently about what it's like running your own business and all people who run their own businesses, they always say the same thing. They say that it ends up bleeding into every part of your life. You can't just take annual leave and go on a holiday. You take your job everywhere with you. It becomes every part of your life instead of the nine to five and then coming home and not thinking about it anymore. It, you, it's still there. You still have to keep the business running. Fair enough. I, I respect that. Like I'm assuming that that takes a lot of energy out of the people who are, have in the past been like the entrepreneurs that do that kind of thing. But it seems like everybody's kind of been just by circumstances been thrown into that space where there is that lack of boundaries. Would yeah. you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I guess before we get to the, the solutions of, you know, shifting or reestablishing the boundaries, I think the first step is always awareness. You know, when we have a sense of awareness, we can have a better sense of, of control or a locus of control um, over our situation. You know, when all of those things are just sort of meshing in together, it's hard to really establish, well, what is it that's stressing me? You know, what is it that I do need to change and what are the things that I do need to set the boundaries around? So, yeah, I'm just going to shift it back a step and say, you know, the first step there is awareness. It's about saying, well, are they external or internal sources of stress? And also, what kind of stress is it? You know, there's actually different types of stress and it's not all bad. So we kind of need to sift out, well, what are the really negative sources of stress and then proactively, you know, do something to intervene or, or shift and change that. So, yeah, different types of stress. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of this term before, but eustress and distress, you know. So we've all heard of the, the word distress, I'm sure, but mm-hmm. the opposite of distress is eustress, which is actually a positive form of stress. Right. Is it positive as far as it keeps you motivated to do the tasks that need to be done? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So way back in the, I believe it was around the 1970s, there were a couple of psychologists called Yerkes and Dodson. They came up with what we call the stress performance curve. So if you imagine a bell curve and, you know, on on one axis, you've got our, you know, everyday daily performance the way that we're functioning in life. And then on the other axis, you've got our level of stress. And so as one goes up, so does the other. And that actually is that measure of of eustress, which is the positive stress that keeps us alert and motivated and focused on the most important things. But there's a tipping point, you know, at at the peak of that bell curve, you know, if we tip over that point, we can go into distress, which you know, the very bottom of that, the very tail end is is what we call burnout. So the idea is that we want to be aware of when we're 
reaching that tipping point. And we want to try to not only increase our zone of tolerance, you know, so that we're not tipping over at the slightest little sign of stress, but we want to do things proactively to actually remain in what we call that zone of optimal tolerance. Right. Yeah, that's a very interesting point of education there. I had no idea that there was such a thing as healthy stress because the word stress itself just carries such negative connotations. And then I guess, Claire, whenever you see someone or or some place throughout the term stress-free, <laughs> it probably <laughs> makes you, you probably chuckle a little bit because it's not then theoretically correct. You know, stress is, can be good exactly. in, in healthy measure, right? Just, if if we're stress-free, then we're also not rising to the challenges of life. <laughs> we're not motivated to get out of bed. And so we're, we're literally at the same level of performance as we would be when we're burnt out. <laughs> That's pretty interesting that you just said that uh, we're not wanting to get out of bed because then I was actually reading up about the symptoms of burnout and that's actually there as well on the opposite end of the scale. You were talking about recognizing the symptoms of stress before it gets to burnout and the burnout is right at the end there. It's almost like you're in the red zone, you're kind of redlining. Mm. What are the symptoms before we even get there? Or there might be people who are already there and don't even know that they're there. They're just not feeling great at all about anything. How can it progressively get worse? Does it manifest in different forms? Yeah. Well, a lot of the research has focused a lot on professional workplace burnout. So we do have a greater understanding of that and what it looks like in that sphere. But there's also a more general personal uh, form of burnout as well. But they do have some similar characteristics. And, you know, they are looking at that. One of the first ones is that sense of exhaustion. It's basically when our resources are not able to meet the demand, you know, whether those Mm. are internal or external resources. That emotional exhaustion really speaks to the fact that our mental and emotional and physical resources are being overextended. And that's, that's common across all types of burnout that we see. Another one is what we call depersonalization. And that's basically where we, maybe in the workplace, we're starting to see people as just another task. You know, they're a number, they're a job to do. We're kind of lacking a bit of empathy and we don't have Mm. the same passion and care in what we're doing. And similarly, you know, in a personal setting, say, for example, a parent, you know, they're just a, a bit more irritated by the kids and, you know, they're not able to put in the same level of empathy and care into what they're doing. This other website that I was looking at listed that a lack of empathy or declining empathy slash increasingly cynical and negative outlook. Now, that's mm. that's so interesting because if you see someone like that who is adopting that approach, the first thing you do is you kind of end up blaming them rather than recognizing that they may be burnt out, right? If someone reacts or says something in an aggressive or angry way or annoyed way, it's like, oh, what's their problem? Whereas I should kind of be like, is that person going through something? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and resentment is actually a sign of something going on within you. It's not normally a sign of, well, not typically, it's it's not necessarily about the other person. That blame is a way of dealing with our 
resentment and cynicism, like you said. And it actually comes back to what you're talking about before. It's a lack of boundaries. It might be the inability to say no. You know, if we've committed to things and then we're feeling overstretched and overworked, we're going to go around thinking, oh, you know, everyone just wants a piece of me. You know, everyone is so reliant on me and, and we get resentful. And so we should be bringing the attention and the focus back to ourselves and saying, well, where can I set some healthier boundaries? Where can I learn to say no? And that way I can actually engage in things joyfully and generously, you know, and not have this sense of being overstretched and cynical and resentful. Um, Actually, Brené Brown talks about it beautifully. She talks about how the most loving people are actually the most boundaried. They're the ones that when they know where the parameters are, they can really wholeheartedly engage in what they're doing. And so she has this acronym and it says big to, you know, live our lives big, which means having boundaries that keep me in my integrity and allow me to make the most generous assumption of other people. Wow. Yeah, that is a, that is a very good point. I want to sort of turn your attention, Claire, to... In Signs of the Times magazine, we actually have an article written by a research officer from the University of New South Wales School of Psychiatry, and they're tackling mm. burnout in, in the midst of COVID-19. And I think one of their final points was, was a pretty interesting one because they suggest that people with a predisposition towards perfectionism tend to burn out easier. And just as you were talking about there about setting boundaries, It just kind of occurred to me that that's what perfectionism is in a way. It's rather a lack of boundary that what you do is almost never good enough. Is that a fast path towards burnout? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the beautiful thing about people who have perfectionism is that they are very loyal and reliable. They're hardworking. You know, there's a lot of good qualities there. But I think at the heart of it, what they're really doing is what we call external regulation. You know, it's where we sort of get our value and meaning and purpose from what we do and the things around us. And so, you know, a perfectionist can become too reliant on on being busy and, you know, trying to achieve, trying to perform well. So they can certainly overcommit. And that's, yeah, that is a huge recipe for burnout. So, you know, someone who is quite perfectionistic, they might even have to practice making mistakes and being okay with that, you know, just doing their best and, and kind of shifting some of that internal self-talk to say that I've done my best and, you know, there's only so much I can do or there's only so much I can control. So part of it is, yeah, talking to ourselves a bit differently, which is shifting it to an internal locus of control where we're internally regulating ourselves and, you know, talking to ourselves in a more positive and compassionate way. Right. Now, this is kind of a, a point where where we need to define these two separate things because while we're talking about burnout in the sense that one does sort of have control over it by working through things internally, I guess. But a lot of these symptoms that one can read about, like feeling tired and drained, change in appetite, self-doubt, detachment, withdrawal, mm-hmm. etc. They also seem like symptoms for what could be different mental health issues, like say, for example, depression or anxiety. 
Now, for someone who isn't sure where to place what they're feeling, what should they do? How do you just sort of distinguish the two? Are they two separate things? Are they intertwined? Like, how do they work together? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, you know, depression can sometimes be diagnosed where it is burnout and vice versa. And sometimes we can use the word burnout to actually minimise what's going on for us and go, oh, I'm just burnt out, you know, when actually we might be having a major depressive episode. So, yeah, we seem to use them a bit interchangeably. I think that they are slightly different, although they present very similarly. The key thing is that depression can come from a lot of different sources, that it can be due to external factors like stress, but it can also be internal and biological, you know, so there are lots of different causes of depression. And, you know, depressive episode is when we have a series of of symptoms and they last for at least a period of two weeks. Yeah, with burnout, I guess the precursor of that is is usually acute or chronic stress, whereas that may not necessarily be present with depression, if that makes sense. Mm. So, you know, acute stress could be like a really big crisis, a big incident that, you know, it suddenly shocks our system and we experience a massive surge of those stress hormones. Or it could be chronic stress, which is just persistent over time and even at a moderate to low level, if we have this chronic ongoing stress that our body actually never really gets time in that in that downtime or that recovery period. I guess because we're speaking about burnout rather than depression, but it's helpful to define the two. Mm. Uh, one of the things that I've been reading online, which I guess you've kind of alluded to already about changing thought patterns and that sort of stuff, one form of helping people or, or for people to help themselves is this thing called cognitive behavioral therapy. Now, I've heard that term used before, but I, I don't really know the application of it. Mm. How does this thing work and how does it actually help people? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT is the main modality that I use in my therapy as well. So it's basically identifying patterns within our lives that are keeping us stuck in an unhealthy cycle. It's the interplay between our cognition or thoughts and our feelings and sensations as well as our behaviours and how that's sort of interacting with the situation and the triggers. Sometimes the situation is outside of our control. Like we were saying before, there's that internal and external factor that we have to look at. But with CBT, we look at mainly the internal factors and how can we shift and change those to maybe associate or interact a little bit differently with our situation and what's going on around us. And there's some really specific strategies in there that can really help with burnout. What are some of those strategies or what are some popular ones that you've come across or you've even used or or worked through people with? Yeah, so one of the best ones I find is taking a behavioural approach to begin with because when we find someone that's in burnout, it's a bit harder to work with the thoughts and the cognition because they do have this brain fog, you know. Their mind is is quite 
it's tired, it's exhausted, and it's it's kind of hard to access those cognitions. So it's helpful to focus initially on a bit of behavioural change. And the idea is that, you know, when we're working with burnout, we're working with a deficit. It's like an empty well. You know, it's dried up, and so we have to take it really gradually. We can't just say to the person, just go on a long holiday, and when you come back, you'll feel better. You know, that's mm. the equivalent of just dumping the water in the well and expecting it to hold what we have to do is to take it bit by bit and allow it to absorb and and sink in so the technical term for that is behavioral activation you know and activity scheduling where we really break it down into a small and achievable period of time or it might be a small and achievable activity and something that's really going to fill that person up. You know, they're really going to feel like the well is being topped up. It's a self-care activity. And then we just start gradually, you know, integrating that small self-care activity into their schedule and doing it consistently and regularly and building on top of that. Because one of the hardest things with burnout and, and depression as well as another commonality is that lack of energy and lack of motivation Sometimes the hardest part is actually starting to do something healthy that's going to break that cycle. Claire, to be honest, people that I've interacted with in the past that were definitely in the stage of burnout, a lot of them seem to have the attitude of the only way to fix it is to start something new. I'm talking about work-related because, like you mentioned, a lot of burnout comes from work. In fact, just out of observation that it almost ends up being like 60-40 or 70-30 as far as the majority of of what's driving the feeling of burnout is work and then there's 40 or 30% is personal life stuff. And that is pretty interesting because of those that conversation we had earlier about the boundaries and how that's sort of mm. being blurred in COVID-19. Is it helpful to identify it earlier when it's in the stress stage? Are you finding that a lot of people who are in the burnout stage, just want to give up and, and start fresh with everything or or just give up in general? Is there any benefit to identifying and, and having their stress treated earlier as opposed to when it's in the burnout phase? Yeah, look, in general, the best approach is always early intervention. It's always that awareness of those early warning signs. And I guess, you know, when a person is at the point of being ready to throw in the towel and maybe, I don't know, give up their job or even in their personal life, like walking away from certain situations, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the solution. It could be. I mean, again, we talk about external and internal factors. Maybe part of the solution is that a person isn't really feeling valued in their job or their role isn't very well defined or they, you know, they've been overloaded and undervalued. And so they might feel like they need to shift sideways into a different role. And that could be part of the solution. But generally, I find that when clients say, I just want to give up and go and start somewhere else, they're really just shifting the problem and they take it with mm. them because they haven't really stopped to analyze it and, and, like you say, identify those early precipitating factors, the ones that we can identify that are at the top of that peak, you know, before we slide down into the burnout. And, and those things are going to be quite personal, like you were saying before. Some people have personality factors that, like perfectionism, that 
will mean that it looks a bit different for them as to what that slide down looks like. So yeah, in general, I would say the, the whole giving up and just moving on is a bit of a, bit of an escapism sometimes, mm-hmm. unless it's actually a well thought out and well analyzed and very intentional choice to move into something that's more in line with your values or just a better work environment. Yeah. Have you noticed that in those people, like you mentioned, that they see the solution as, as taking their stuff and, and leaving, you know, whether that to be a, another job or whatever else? Obviously, there's a honeymoon period there for, you know, six months, maybe shorter, maybe longer, maybe to a year, maybe even longer than that, where they feel like they're, they're happy until does a burnout strike again if the, the wrong sort of mental patterns are still there? Like, have you noticed that? There, there is a period of recovery, but then the burnout shows its like ugly head again later on because it hasn't been dealt with? Yeah, potentially. It depends on the person's internal cognition and even their belief system. You know, they can carry that with them wherever they go. You know, and there is that, that old saying that a change is as good as a holiday, you know, that people kind of have this idea of it's a fresh slate and, you know, they feel invigorated in the beginning. And there could be factors about the the new situation that do fit them better you know that could be the case but again it's got to come from that internal place of really evaluating whether they're operating in a healthy and functional way are they you know actually acting in line with their beliefs and values or do they still have some maybe negative or unhealthy or unhelpful thinking patterns that are going on inside of them because it could be that they have that perception of just being inferior to others or feeling you know unworthy and and this is something they just carry within them and we have to recognize that no amount of external validation might necessarily change that we can't say that the perfect job is going to be the answer because the perfect job doesn't really exist (laughs) there's always going to be issues we live in a broken human world you know there might be people that we don't get along with and There's always factors that we can't account for. So, yeah, having a healthy amount of acceptance around what we can control and what we can't can really go a long way. It does sound very similar what you're saying to this pseudoscientific term called the grass is greener syndrome, which Mm. I guess is probably entirely dismissed in the scientific community. Like you, you probably know more about that than I do, but I have read up about it as a phenomenon that often we, especially when we're in a difficult period, we kind of look towards the grass on the other side and, and how if we just shift ourselves over there, then everything will sort of fix itself. Whereas that's not really a realistic look at the world, is it? No, I would say generally not. But again, it really depends on the reason why we're moving over to that new patch of grass. Is it about maybe finding, trying to find that sense of purpose. A really big part of burnout is feeling a lack of significance or feeling a lack of purpose. And so we can certainly think that it's going to be better elsewhere, but the reality is that that's a bit of a cognitive distortion as well. Mm. It's, it's a bit of what we call predictive thinking. You know, we think we know what it's going to be like. And when we're in a difficult situation, then we can have distortions in one direction or the other. You know, it it exists on a continuum. If we have distortions in an overly positive direction in our thinking, 
then that's just as unhealthy as if we're having overly negative distortions as well. Because, you know, the overly positive distortions are making us believe that, you know, if I can just get that dream job, then everything will be rainbows and sunshine. And again, that's not really based in reality. So, you know, part of the solution there is actually having a really reality-based kind of thinking. You know, I, I try to help my clients, you know, when we're doing CBT and we're shifting those cognitions and those thinking patterns, it's all about aiming for the middle ground. You know, if a person is feeling depressed and really negative, they need to think more positively to get to that middle ground. But if a person is like, well, you know, the grass is greener over there and everything else will be better if I could just get a different job, then they might need a bit of a reality check, you know, coming back down to reality. Claire, I know you're going to get frustrated with me because throughout this podcast, I've just been throwing hypotheticals at you and (laughs) you kind of have to go, well, there's a lot of factors and nuances in there. But aside from seeking professional help or CBT or having someone help you work through these things, which is absolutely recommended for anyone who's, who's feeling like they need it or is struggling to identify these sorts of issues. But if someone has identified let's say, work-related burnout or, or identified how a personal-related burnout is factoring into that. Is there anything that they can do? Like, obviously, the first thing is, like you mentioned, to, to be able to deal with it themselves. But is there anything they can do as far as approaching their employer or the person or the people in their life that is contributing to the feeling of burnout and gain some sort of help or clarity or be able to set those boundaries there? Is there any practical tips do you think that you'd recommend as far as that? Yeah, absolutely. I think the professional ones, again, it depends on the type of burnout and what's causing it. So, for example, if it really is being overloaded and overworked, you can approach your boss about that, you know, and and talking about having a more manageable workload or, again, maybe practicing some of those personal boundaries and, you know, saying no to the things that you can say no to. Alternatively, another form of burnout is like being under-challenged. Maybe someone at work is actually feeling like their skills and their expertise is not really being put to good use and they don't have a sense of purpose or significance. So they could go to their boss and have that conversation and go, well, you know, is there something I can do to sort of utilise my skills a bit better and feel invigorated and passionate about what I do again? You know, and another reason could be what we call professional neglect where the person's feeling a bit incompetent or maybe they're feeling they're not keeping up or there could be some sort of friction or bullying going on, they're being overlooked that type of thing. So there, there are some very practical steps that can be taken. If we're aware of what's causing that particular type of burnout, then we can address it, you know. And similarly, these things can translate into the personal space as well, you know. For example, you know, mum dealing with her kids, she could also feel overloaded. She could also feel insignificant or a lack of purpose and being under-challenged and, you know, like she just hasn't had those adult conversations in a long time. You know, she might be feeling a bit helpless or a bit overlooked and marginalised. So whether it's in the personal space or the workplace, we can try to identify the 
underlying cause there and we can do something practical about it to shift and change it. You, you know, it could be putting those boundaries in place or addressing the allocation of tasks or having a certain structure or being really intentional about self-care, you know, whether it's personal or professional self-care. Yeah, that's some some really great advice there, Claire. Now, if it's more than just that, again, another hypothetical situation here, you're probably getting <laughs> tired of me using them, but let's say there's <laughs> someone who has tried to address those sorts of things by those simple practical sort of steps that you've you've mentioned, but is finding that it's not helping and they do need professional help. Now, you just mentioned earlier CBT. Is this something that someone can work through with a counselor or is it something that they will find in, in a psychologist? Like where do they find someone who can help them with this? Is it only psychologists? No, it's not just psychologists. Um, there are counselors and social workers as well that are able to do the same kind of therapy. I guess psychologists often have they have an, a, a bit of a medical approach to it as well and they often work with a GP, you know, to, to do holistic intervention and a person can get referred to a psychologist through Medicare. So if they, you know, if they're wanting to explore whether these things are going on for them, I would certainly recommend finding a professional who would be able to assess, you know, and really determine whether it's burnout or whether it's depression or anxiety and there are psychometric assessments or questionnaires that can be done with a person, particularly through a psychologist. So going to your GP is a really good first step and the GP mm. might be able to recommend that referral to a professional. At the moment, the silver lining of, of the COVID lockdown is that we do have more sessions that are rebatable through Medicare to go and see a psychologist. So oh, wow. uh, usually we have 10 in a in, in a period of 12 months, but Medicare have increased that now to 20 and they've also allowed it to, to be via telehealth, you know, which is either on the phone or a video conference. So, yeah, I'm finding that and, and in my clinic as well, you know, my own experience of that is people are accessing it more readily, which is great to see. So it's making it easier and giving people, I guess, more financially viable ways of accessing a professional. Yeah, that's yeah, really awesome to hear that, you know, it's being recognized that mental health in amongst lockdowns and COVID-19 in general, which creates a lot of stress and, and anxiety, just as it is, it's great to hear that there is support and, and it's being recognized that this is a, a large issue. Let's say, for example, Claire, if there is someone, you know, obviously you and I are both based in Sydney and this podcast is going out Australia and New Zealand wide. But if someone is based in Sydney, is there a place that you recommend someone could check out if they want to seek that professional help from, say, a psychologist? Like, are you part of a practice or anything like that? Yes, I am. I practice at the Sanctuary Lifestyle Clinic, which is located in Hornsby, and it's a holistic um, lifestyle medicine clinic. So I work with a, a doctor there who is trained in lifestyle medicine. Dr. Andrew Pennington. And yeah, together we have a holistic approach to treating clients. And and as I mentioned, the, the best thing about it is that it's really accessible now through telehealth, you know, so wherever you are, you can organize a consultation with either of us. So I really encourage you to contact us if you need that. Awesome. 
Well, the same article, uh, we'll also probably put a little link in there if anybody wants to check it out. The, the article itself is called, We're All Exhausted, But Are You Experiencing Burnout? If you go check that out on the website, signsofthetimes.org.au, scroll down to the bottom and we'll also have a, a few links there that people can check out and, and get in touch with, with the lifestyle clinic there. So yeah, Claire, thanks so much for, for sharing about helping identify what the symptoms are and what we can do about it. No worries. Yeah, it was really great to have this conversation with you. Thank you for having me. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au in Australia or signsofthetimes.org.nz in New Zealand.